Well, Brother Tim said, Joy to the World was a very fitting song, and I think that's why we sang it twice, right? <laughs> For those of y'all that were paying attention. That's why I don't call out hymns, because I'm terrified that I'll call one out we just sang, and like, he wasn't even listening. You ever, like, been in, being in school and the teacher calls on you to answer the question and you didn't even hear the question? And you're like, I don't, I don't, what was the question again? But uh, it is a very fitting song. Um, I'm glad that you're here this morning. It's a good crowd. Um, I echo what Brother Tim said about, uh, you know, being a kid and getting up early. Uh, I mean, having to get up and play with your toys and then have to come to church. And if you get up early enough, you have plenty of time to play with them. And uh, my brother, there is not a person in this entire world or ever has been who was ex- more excited than him to get up on Christmas morning. And so we, I mean, we were 2 o'clock a.m., Josh going around waking everybody up. He knows it's true, even if he acts like it's not. So, so by the time church time came, our toys had already gotten old. We were bored with them. Yeah, so if that ever happens again, just get up early uh, like Josh would do. I was the more reasonable, level-headed one, of course. And... Uh, <laughs> wanted to sleep in a little bit later. But um, it is good to see everybody here on such a special day, and hopefully the Lord will bless us and um, bless the things that we've got to say this morning. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to Genesis, the 12th chapter, and hopefully I can string together a few thoughts this morning that will be profitable to us and make some sense to us. And I want to start in Genesis, the 12th chapter, and some of these uh, accounts are going to be very familiar to you, and I'm, I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to paraphrase some of it. But in Genesis, the 12th chapter, we start, we kind of open the scene up here with a man named Abram, which we know uh, later is um, the Lord uh, changes his name to Abraham. Same man, uh, different name at a point in his life, but a man named Abram, he is uh, nothing special. Uh, there is uh, no great revelation uh, that he has from God at this point. He's just like any other man that's walking along the face of the earth, probably trying to make a living and uh, take care of this, that, and the other. He's just a man like us. And the Lord comes to him, though. And when the Lord comes to him in Genesis, the 12th chapter, he tells him, he says, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Now, that's a, uh, that's a, a, a pretty big dose of information to get uh, for, from, for anybody to just be a normal person going through your normal routine. And then the Lord come to you all of a sudden and say, hey, uh, I want you to know that I'm going to take you and from you, I'm going to make a great nation. Uh, you know, that's that's, you know. Uh, you, you go home to your family and they're like, hey, what happened to you today? Well, you're not going to believe what, what I found out today, right? The Lord told me that out of, out of me that uh, he's going to spring a great nation. Now, what you'll notice is that time begins to go by. And, you know, well, maybe not so much back then, but uh, to, in today's time, we, are, we really, really struggle with the immediate gratification, right? Of the, of the like, I mean, I want it and I want it now. And, oh, there it is on Amazon. I mean, literally, something could come up to your mind that you may want or need. And within seconds of even having to leave where you're standing or sitting, you can purchase that through Amazon and, and, and maybe even have it the next day. I mean, you know, we, we just, we want it, we want it now. Um, but even back then, when the Lord says, hey, I'm going to make of you a great nation, if the Lord came to you and said that, would you not start to wonder? Because he doesn't give him tons and tons of details about how all this is going to come to be. 
So if it were me and the Lord came and said, hey, Luke, uh, here's a message for you and, and I'm going to, through you, make a great nation or, or whatever else he may have said, I would have sat there and started thinking of just the, you know, the mechanics of all that. Like, you know, how is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? You know, if you're somebody that plans a lot, you're probably trying to, uh, I need to be two steps ahead of the Lord and what he's thinking so I don't mess all this up. So, you know, Abram had to be thinking, when is all this going to happen? And so some time goes by, enough time that Abram travels into a distant land. We find that um, he has the account with Lot and Sodom uh, and Gomorrah. We find that uh, he has to go deliver Lot from being captured. You know, we're not talking about just a few days passing. We're talking about probably a pretty good length of time passing from the time the Lord says, hey, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Well, number one, if the Lord is going to make out of Abram, out of Abram's seed, a great nation, at least one thing has to happen. Right. One thing has to happen. And what is that? He's got to have a son. He has to have a child. So time goes by. No child. They, they, they go into foreign country. No child. They go into the, uh, you know, to the. Uh, area of the plains and Lot goes into Sodom and Gomorrah and and there's you know the Lord has to deliver uh, Abraham has to deliver Lot and bring them back from from some wicked kings and time is going by and time is going by and you know Abram had to say when Lord like you know you, you promised me these things and we see him talk about that in the 15th chapter of Genesis now how much time has, has passed from Genesis, the 12th chapter to the 15th chapter? We're not sure, but it's clearly enough time for a, a lot of events to pass. And in the 15th chapter, <clears throat> in verse one, it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. He hasn't mentioned a thing in the first verse there about the promise that he made Abram in Genesis 12. But what is on Abram's mind? And Abram said, Lord God, what will thou give me seeing I go childless and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, behold to me, thou hast given no seed and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. So, have you ever been talking to somebody before and, and really the topic that you bring up, um, you can tell their response to that is not has nothing to do with what you have presented, but what's on their mind. And that's, to me, that's kind of what happens because the Lord comes to Abram and he says, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Nothing about a covenant, nothing about a nation, nothing about a child. And the first thing Abram says is, but I don't have a child. What, what about Genesis 12? What about you telling me about Genesis 12? And you flip on to Genesis, the 17th chapter. And in Genesis, the 17th chapter, 16th and 17th chapter, what you read about is the Lord coming back to Abram and reminding him of the covenant that he made with him in the beginning of Genesis, the 12th chapter, that he is going to make of him a great nation. Time has passed. Don't forget that Abram has mentioned it to him again. Hey, what about, the, what about this nation deal you were telling me about? Time goes by. Well, the Lord comes back to Abram 
And it says, and when Abram was 90 years old and nine, 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceeding. And Abram Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Now, Do you know what Abram does when the Lord comes back to him at 99 years old and reminds him of this? He laughs at it. He laughs about it, which I get it. He laughs about it. So from Genesis, the 12th chapter to this point, I know based on what the Bible says and and how much time had passed, it was at least 25 years, at least 25 years that's not counting how much time they spent over, you know, with, the, you know, going into the plains and traveling and, you know, the whole deal with Lot. It's not counting any of that. But we know there's at least 25 years from the time the Lord said this to the time the Lord comes back to him and says that I will establish my covenant with thee to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession I will be their God. Now, and Abraham, again, go, you can go read through uh, the verse chapter 16 and 17. And what, is, what does Abram do? He laughs. Right. He's like, are you kidding me? You know, maybe it wasn't in a disrespectful way, but it's like 25 years you've been telling me this. For 25 years. You know, what, what if, look, I, what if somebody came up to you and said, hey, man, do you mind if I borrow $100? And you said, okay, sure, here's $100. And 25 years later, they see, hey, man, I hadn't forgot about $25. I'm going to pay you back for that. What would you, you'd laugh at them. It's like, I'm never going to see that money. It's been 25 years. But the Lord tells him that I'm going to come back and visit you. And this time next year, you're going to have a son. And his name's going to be Isaac. And it's through Isaac that I'm going to establish this nation that I promised you in Genesis, the 12th chapter. 25 years is a long time to wait for something like that. Right. 25 years, I mean, uh, again, the, 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 the one thing that has to happen is you have to have a son in year after year after year. Look, they were human just like us. Don't you know that there were probably an infinite number of times that Abram and his wife Maybe his wife came and said, I think I, I think I might be pregnant. I think this might be it. And it's not. They're human. They have to wonder these things like, Lord, you've made a promise to me, but it does not seem like you're holding to your promise 25 years later. Now, in the book of First and Second Samuel, if you want to flip over there, you know, I, I don't I'm not going to go through all these specific verses. In the book of First and Second Samuel, you know that Israel has demanded a king, and the Lord provides them King Saul, which is not, not his design. King Saul is on the throne, and the prophet Samuel, the Lord tells the prophet uh, Samuel that this deal with King Saul, it is not going to last. And it is not going to work out. He's rebellious. He's hard-headed. He does things his own way. And his kingdom will not last. And so I'm going to raise up a king for Israel. And, he's, and Samuel is sent to a man named Jesse. 
And he goes to the man named Jesse and he says, I need you to present your sons before me. So starting from the oldest, son after son after son is paraded in front of Samuel. And he's like, that's not him, that's not him, that's not him, that's not him. And finally, Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for he will not sit down till, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in, and now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look at. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. What is he anointing him for? To be king. He is anointing him in front of his brethren to be the king of Israel. He is feeding the sheep in the field. He's not even important enough or old enough to be brought in the lineup before Samuel to be an option for the king. And then all of a sudden, I go from feeding the sheep, being the smallest and the littlest of the household, to being in front of the prophet of God, having my head anointed with oil, saying, you are going to be the king of Israel. Now, that's just as much of a change as it was when the Lord came to just a normal man named Abram and said, all of a sudden, Abram, you're, you need to understand there's something special here. And I'm, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And then you got David here. You're a nothing, David, but I'm fixing to make you king of Israel. Right. All right. Well, David at this point is probably 12 to 15 years old. <clears throat> now, if you would have come to me at 12 or 15 years old and said, hey, Luke, you're going to be the president of the United States. I would have probably wanted I would have been looking for just little the stepping stones. Oh, do you see how he opened that door? Did you see how this guy just called me and offered me this job and how, you know, I went from nothing. Now I'm, I'm you know, an aide to a person in Congress. And that's how our minds work. <clears throat> but what does David find? <clears throat> he finds a little bit of that. David goes from being anointed with oil to be king of Israel to all of a sudden this crazy king Saul is troubled by a spirit and he says, hey, I need somebody to calm me down with, some, with some, the playing of a harp. Well, lo and behold, somebody says, hey, I know somebody that plays the harp. It's this guy, David. Now, King Saul knows nothing of this. And so all of a sudden, David goes from a 12 or 15-year-old shepherd boy who's been anointed king, the king of Israel, and now all of a sudden, he's in the court of the king playing the harp for the king. And you probably would say, hey, this looks like this is actually going to pan out, right? He slays Goliath. And David's probably thinking, man, I went from the field to being the armor bearer for the king, playing the harp for the king, and now I've slayed Goliath. Boy, this looks like everything is falling into place. Well, it does till King Saul starts picking up his javelin to try to pin him to the wall three times that I've counted. Chases after him, sends him on. A, he, he flees. David is having to go into. And, and Saul is so determined to kill David. That I think his, the priest's name was Ahimelech. That David stopped to get some aid. And when King Saul found out that the guy helped David, he killed all the priests of the house of Ahimelech. That's how serious King Saul was about killing David. And David is probably thinking, 
there's no way that I'll ever sit on the throne of Israel. Even though God has promised me that, I don't think there's any way that that would happen. As a matter of fact, in 1 Samuel, the 27th chapter, this is what David says in verse 1. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me anymore in any of the coast of Israel. You see what David said? David said, all right, the prophet Samuel came to anoint me with oil. It looked like things were panning out for a while. And now all of a sudden, this madman has a death warrant on my head. And David says, I will perish by the hand of Saul. He's saying, I'll never be king. This, this whole deal with Samuel and the anointing of oil, that's not going to happen. But you see some time go by and the best that I could figure out probably 15 years from the time he was anointed by Samuel he actually makes it to the throne of Judah. Remember Israel was a divided kingdom and you had the, the, the tribes of Israel and you had the tribes of Judah. David actually makes it to sit as the king over Judah but that's not what God told him he would be. And during the time he was sitting on the throne of, uh, of Judah, there's a great civil war between all the tribes of Israel. And David probably thought, this is really not what I envisioned when I was 12. But time passes and the Lord is faithful to his promises. Amen. And you see in 2 Samuel chapter 5 that David sits on the throne over all the tribes of Israel. Now, be honest and think about Abram and think about David and the promises that were made to them and how for a long time it did not look like those promises were going to be true. It just doesn't look like it's panning out, Lord. It's not like you said, this is not what I envisioned. Let me give you one more here. Probably the best one and probably the most appropriate one for the day. Go to Luke, the first chapter, in verse 26, and it says, In the sixth month, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a, to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. Amen. He shall be great. He shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. What do you think, Abram, how do you think he felt 
when the Lord came to him and gave him this news. He probably felt, he probably felt just extremely excited. He probably felt humbled. He probably felt the, the spirit of God moving on him in ways that he never had before. How do you think the shepherd boy David felt when he was drawn out of the field and a man named Samuel, the prophet of God, anoints him with oil to be king of Israel? And how do you think this young virgin Mary, who, who by her own admission had never known a man, and the, Lord come, or the angel Gabriel comes to her and says, you are highly favored with God. And then the events that transpire after that, none of them really point to being highly favored. Because I imagine, which even, even Joseph did this in the Bible, Joseph was worried about the public shame that she would receive, not being married. Now that doesn't exist anymore today, although I wish it did. Not being married and now she's pregnant was a shameful thing in that, in that day. And it should be today. And so Joseph wants to hide her, not to make her a public example. That's just the human emotion of Mary thinking, all right, I understand this because Gabriel's here before me. I get this, but nobody else is going to get this. How am I going to sell this to my mama and daddy? How am I going to sell this to my friends that I've never known a man? And they're like, really? Come on, Mary. And then... They have to travel and they don't travel in, you know, the, the fancy cars like we have today. They travel, you know, on a donkey, a long distance. And when they get to where they're going, it's that time. There is no hospital. There is no sterile instruments. Look, we, we have four children and three of them are, were born in August. So my wife, three different times, has been almost full term in the dead heat of Alabama summer right now she handled it with extreme grace but I was sweating and tired and frustrated just watching her walk across an, an asphalt parking lot nine months pregnant when it's 150 degrees outside do you think Mary as she rode across that donkey and said hey Joseph it's time and he's like we've got nowhere do you think she felt highly favored do you think she felt highly favored when she found out that Herod put a death sentence on her son? And for several years, they have to run and hide? That doesn't feel highly favored, right? I think about Naomi's response to all the trouble that she had. If you read back in the book of Ruth, all the, her response to my husband's, my husband has died, my children, my two sons have died, and then she comes back and says, don't even call me Naomi anymore. Change my name to, I believe it was Mara. And she says, because the Lord Almighty has dealt terribly with me. And there's not one word in the book of Ruth that proves that the Lord dealt terribly with her. Naomi went into some places she should have never been. But she looked at that situation and said, well, the Lord has just dealt terribly with me. I, I, I think of Naomi a lot like the people today 
They can't recognize that the consequences of their sin are the reason they're in the mess they're in. So they want to blame it on the Lord's plan. It would have been easy for Mary to do that. It would have been easy to say, boy, the Lord, he, he, really, he really tricked me. Gabriel came down and said, I was going to be highly favored. And look at how my pregnancy has gone. Look at how the birth of my child has gone. Look at the death warrant that the, uh, that, uh, the King Herod has put on my child. It doesn't sound a whole lot like God is faithful to his promises. But as some time goes by, Mary had to have seen some things in her son, Jesus Christ, that are not recorded in the scripture. Because when he goes to turn the water into wine, she tells the servants, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. Now, we all love our children and think they're just top notch, but Mary knew something about this man. I think about Abram when at a hundred years old, they laid that baby Isaac in his arms. And he would have been able to shout that God is faithful to his promises. And when King David, for 15 years, having escaped the hands of Saul, sat on the throne over all of Israel, he would have had to say God is faithful to his promises even though it looked like he was not going to be. And I wonder about Mary. I talked a little bit to Tiffany about this last night, just imagining in my head. You know, Mary saw something that would have been really hard to watch. Um, She saw her son mangled beyond recognition by the hands of wicked men. She was at the foot of the cross watching him die. And if you have children, you know how difficult that would be. And I wondered at what point Mary really laid hold to what David and Abram could say And that God is faithful to his promises. And if no other time, you know, because Mary needed a savior too. And and, and I don't I don't fully understand, and I don't think the Bible, the Lord wants us to fully understand it. But in my mind, when she stepped into glory, she She saw her baby, but she also saw her Savior. And if no other point in her life, I think she could absolutely say, I truly was highly favored. But that took time. Now, God has made us promise on top of promise. In John, the 16th chapter, I think it's verse 33, he says, in this world you shall have tribulation. He says, but be of good cheer uh, because I've overcome the world. 
Um, it doesn't always feel like God has overcome the world. Sometimes it feels like God is losing the battle to the world. Sometimes it, you wonder like, Lord, where are you? Like, you know, just from a, from a, a national standpoint, Lord, where are you? Like, I know you're here, but Lord, I want the whole nation to see you. I want, I want everybody to see that you have overcome the world. And time goes by and time goes by and time goes by. And we wonder, like, is God truly faithful to his promise? He is. And he will overcome it. I think about the verse, I think it's in Matthew 11 that says, uh, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's a promise. That if you come to me and seek me, I will give you rest. But are there times that you feel like you seek him and you're not resting? I feel that way sometimes. What about when Paul goes to the Lord and he says, I mean, all the things that Paul, and I hate to say that, that Paul did for the Lord because I, this didn't sound right, but all the faithfulness that Paul walked in and the obedience that Paul walked in and what does he ask the Lord? I've got a thorn in my side. Would you please take it from me? And there's a promise made to Paul there that says, well, my grace is sufficient. Have you ever had a burden physically or mentally and struggled and struggled and struggled? And you thought, well, the Lord said his grace is sufficient, but it sure doesn't feel like it. Same thing Abram would have said. Same thing David could have said. Same thing Mary could have said. But with enough time, you see that his grace is sufficient and he will overcome the world. And if you do go to him and seek him, you will find rest. That's three of a, it's an endless number of promises that the Lord has given us. You cannot take the I want it now mentality and apply it to the promises of God. Because that will lead you straight into confusion. What is the, and, and I'm probably misquoting this. But what does the Bible say? Those that wait on the Lord yes. shall renew their strength yes. and shall mount up. On wings as eagles. Amen. What's the key word there? Those that what? Wait. Yes. Abram took some waiting. David took some waiting. Mary took some waiting. And you and I will take some waiting. Amen. But God is faithful to his promises. And I encourage you. This may not. Spirit of God may not be in this. Nobody here may need to hear it. But there may be one person here that is struggling to their core. Waiting. I just encourage you to keep waiting. And I don't think you'll be disappointed. I hope that's been profitable to you. Thank you for your attention.